human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I'm delighted by the wisdom and kindness of Dr. Gustavo Kutz. Dr. Gus is a psychologist specializing in CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. These intense practices are rooted in the importance of the empathetic dynamic between therapist and client, which Gus describes as radically genuine and a relationship between equals. The key feature in Gus's work is the idea of validation, and a mantra within his practice is assess, 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 or ask, ask, ask. His lifelong curiosity is inspiring. Dr. Gus says that so much of what he's learned from both his fellow therapists and his clients is universally applicable to all of life. He is always asking, what is the other person's experience? Please enjoy episode 21, Empathy on the Couch with Dr. Gus Kutz. Well, I am so excited to have on this episode of What's Betwixt Us, uh, Gustavo Kutz, otherwise known as Gus. Uh, he is a psychologist specializing in CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and I happen to be a personal friend of his as well. And so I know that he's going to speak to empathy, not only in the professional realm, but also from a personal realm that we can believe. He's the real deal. So Gus, welcome to What's Between This. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. The kind things you just said. <laughs> Always with a smile on your face. <laughs> Well, to jump in, I want to get started right away with exactly what it is you do. I would love to know, mm -hmm. you know, I happen to be pretty experienced at this point in, in being therapized myself, but for those people who do not have as much experience, can you talk a little bit about the kind of psychology that you work with specifically? Sure, sure, sure. So, um, so as a psychologist, what I do is I do practice psychotherapy. And there's lots of different types of psychotherapy out there. And I think it's, it's actually a pretty unfortunate thing. I find that it all kind of gets lumped together as like therapy, you know? So when people go forth and look for a therapist, there are so many different types of thing that they might find without like a clarity about the distinctions. Mm -hmm. So in any case, the type of therapy, like you said, that I specialize in is called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And uh, CBT is very much focused on uh, evidence base, meaning on uh, it, it's really all about making sure that what we're doing really works to help the person achieve whatever their goals for therapy may be, uh, whether it be, you know, like decreasing depression or decreasing anxiety or improving relationships or, or whatever it may be that, that kind of uh, brought somebody in. And it's all about doing it in a way that works. And we kind of assess along the way, like, are we making progress? Are we moving towards the goals? Because one thing that we really don't want to have in, in CBT is a feeling of like, well, you know, you've been in therapy for 10 years. And, you know, I think, I think you're making progress. And like that, that's very much not what CBT is. And, and I'm not saying that there might not be some value in that. It's just, a, it's a very different type of thing, in my opinion. And I find it funny that it's, um, 
their their group together. But CBT is a couple of other things about it. It's called it's called CBT because it's based on the premise that our behaviors, what we do, and our cognitions, like our what we believe, what we assume, what we think, and our emotions are very closely tied to each other, as well as our our physical experiences, you know, of emotions. And since we can't just change our emotions at will, as anybody who has ever been told just get over it could tell you, <laughs> um, we, get in, we get in at it from the other sides. We get in it from uh, looking at how are we interpreting things? What are we assuming about things? As well as what are we actually doing both physically and mentally? And how can we change that up to change how we're feeling if that's what we're trying to do? And uh, another thing I really, sorry, long answer to a simple question. That's okay, please but, go as um, long as you like. All right. And so the an, another thing that I think sets CBT apart from a lot of other different kinds of therapy is that it's very much seen as a collaboration between the two people, the, the therapist and the client mm-hmm. in that, and for, for that reason, in fact, we, in CBT, we're less likely to even use the term patient, even though we sometimes do. But because that kind of brings up this sense of like the patient is the person who's kind of just kind of sitting there and having something done to them, sure. you know, uh, whereas from a CBT perspective, if that were happening, then nothing's really going to mm-hmm. change, you know, the way I always think about it is I'm bringing in my expertise, which is in terms of human behavior, human emotion, human cognition in general, and you, the client, you're bringing in your expertise, which is in terms of you and what works for you and what you value and so on like that. And uh, neither of us could really be able to do the work that we're doing together on our own. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much because it really brings up this thing of uh, reciprocity, which mm-hmm. is really important in the work that I do at Zany, which is this app that I work for that is the sponsors this podcast where, you know, the idea is to foster dialogue, to foster conversation between people. And that uh, when the weekly question is asked in the app, if you don't answer it, then you, then you can't engage in the conversation. So the idea is if you bring your vulnerability, then you can engage with other people's vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And that sort of level playing field is super, super important. So Mm -hmm. I love that, that that is your focus, especially because I have been in therapy situations personally, where, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's part of the therapy that the therapist doesn't really involve themselves at all. They're yes. completely apart. And, yes. and I, and I understand that that's for the purposes of like, whatever the reaction of the client or patient is, yes. then that can be scrutinized under a microscope, yes. right? But it doesn't, uh, it doesn't duplicate real life experience at all. Right. And mm-hmm. as, as a client, yeah. I'm going to be more apt to be really authentic and vulnerable if I know something about the person I'm speaking to, if I feel like it's a two-way street. So uh, that's, that's very much how I feel personally too. So maybe that, that's probably a big part of why I was drawn to this, to this area of psychology. I, I should add too that within CBT, so CBT is a very broad umbrella uh, of different uh, types of intervention, I guess you could say. And within that one, one particular subtype of CBT is called DBT. Mm-hmm. which I like to joke is one level up, you know, from CBT. <laughs> and I'm going to invent EBT, but it stands for dialectical behavior therapy. And uh, I could talk more about that if it's interesting, but for now, I'll say that it's, uh, it's a specialized type of therapy for treating specific things. And within that, that sense of equality, you know, and partnership is emphasized even more. So there's a sense of therapists really being encouraged to be very authentic 
radically genuine is a term that we use. And we really see it as like a relationship between equals as opposed to a hierarchical relationship, you know, asterisk in as much as there's still, you know, a sense of uh, things that would be inappropriate for the relationship because it could be exploitative and so on. But in the room in general, you know, it's the, that's the idea is that it's a relation, a real relationship between equals. I love that. I love that so much. I, and I think that that makes sense. And, and also makes sense in a more organic way, how we would heal as people, you know, if we are in a room speaking to a good friend, it's taking away the distance that helps that healing. So here's a question. So you're obviously in the line of work of, of empathy. You, you must be a sort of open empathetic person in order to do what you do. So can you speak a little bit to that about how you've learned about empathy personally Mm. through your work? Well, yeah, we'll start with that. We'll start with that. Uh, how I learned about empathy personally through my work. I guess perhaps the most important thing I learned, maybe I should say, I think maybe the most important thing I learned through my work, period, and I think it is about empathy, is how much before I, I learned to do what I'm doing now, how much I would assume about what other people are experiencing in any given moment. Mm. I, I remember like a moment that really kind of brought this home for me was when somebody was crying and I said something to them, I was trying to be validating and I said something like, well, I mean, it makes sense that you'd be sad about this because blah, blah, blah. And they said, I'm not sad about this. I'm crying because I'm not sad and I hate that I'm not sad. You know, and in that moment, kind of dawned on me, if I can't even assume from the fact that somebody's crying that they're sad, you know, then how can I assume all this much larger stuff that I'm assuming, you know, like that if I say this, and certainly you're going to understand it as that, or that if uh, this happens to you, then of course you're going to feel this way, you know, the, 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 to put it in like clinicalese, you know, like the way, the way we think about it is assess, 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 which really just means ask, 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 like don't yeah. assume and, and of course, a, an important thing to do too is to sometimes take a, a gentle guess, you know, like to, to say, you know, like, oh my gosh, like you must have felt so hurt by that. But then be, to be completely open if the other person says, no, actually I wasn't, to never kind of assume that, no, no, you were and you just didn't realize it. Which is just about the most invalidating thing I think you can do, right? It's like, no, 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 no. You don't know what you're feeling. I'll tell you. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's so personal, right? And it really depends on the person you're speaking to because some different people might be in, exhibiting the same behavior and need very different Absolutely. Um, response. But uh, I, I love this idea of assess, 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 because I think that asking questions is the way that we get to peel the layers of each other, the way that we yes. really get deeper to know each other, whether inside a, a work situation like this or elsewhere in life. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know that there's anything that I've learned as a therapist that I don't think is helpful in life in general, I have to say. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I thought- Maybe that's about- because it's the genuine, uh, the genuine, the radical genuineness that's built into this, you know, like I, I suppose if I were just kind of looking at somebody from afar, then I'd be doing all sorts of things that I wouldn't want to do in quote unquote real life. But when it's two, it's two equals in the room talking, right? Then it applies everywhere, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so I wonder, like, I mean, you seem to be a pretty inquisitive person. I know that you are deeply into philosophy and mm. Buddhism and mm. you, you, you're 
constantly curious. Yes. And so I wonder if, if that's something that, that you've always had since you were a kid or like what guided you in the direction of the work that you're doing now? That is such an interesting question too. Wow. Have I always been curious? Absolutely. I, I did. I guess I didn't ever think of it that way, but definitely I was always very curious. My dad was just recently saying that ever since I was a kid, like, like I'd make him have to think because I would never settle for like, it, it, oh, it's because of this, you know? It, I mean, of course, every kid keeps going with the why, 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 why. Sure. So I don't know. I guess maybe, maybe, maybe every kid is like that. And for some reason, like I just never grew out of it. Who knows? But <laughs> in, in any case, in any case, sorry, I'm just, now I'm thinking about all sorts of things. But in, in any case, I think probably for whatever reason, one of the things that I've mo- always been most curious about is like, what is the other person's experience of whatever it is that we're talking about, of, of whatever it is that's going on? I've always been fascinated by that. In fact, it, interestingly, the reason I'm a Buddhist is because I took a, my first semester in college, I took a world religions class. And uh, what ended up happening for me was that, you know, we did the unit on this, the unit on this, the unit on this. But when we did the unit in Buddhism, I was like, oh my God, there's a name for this, you know, and it felt like coming home. But the reason I took that class is I wasn't, it wasn't as a spiritual seeker that I did it. It was just from a perspective of wanting to understand how is it that other people are thinking? How is it other people are processing the world, you know, and, and how religion can be such a big, important, fundamental part of that. I'm always fascinated by that. So when, when somebody says something, uh, maybe that's very controversial or something like my mind really, this isn't because I'm nice, it's because I'm curious, but my mind really goes to like, oh my gosh, I wonder how they came to think that, like, what is it that's going on inside them, you know, that's leading them to that. So yeah, I spent a lot of time like looking into things that (laughs) some loved ones have suggested might not be the most useful use of my time, but I just, I can't help, I can't help being fascinated by it. Oh, I think anything that's, anything that comes from curiosity is it is a useful use of your time. That's how I see it too. That's yeah. definitely how I see it too. And I like to think, I mean, I'm also a pretty, a pretty woo-woo kind of person, but I do like to think this curiosity of really wanting to know what's inside the other person, because I feel that too, so much. And so much of my work has involved, has, you know, evolved around asking other people questions because I want to know how they tick. And I think that that comes from this deep knowing that we are all deeply connected or we all came from the same hole at one point, you know, not to get too (laughs) spiritual about it, but but it would make sense that if we all are pieces of a puzzle, we fell off one big puzzle. So we want to know, you know, how we connect to the other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interdependence all the way. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Well, question. Uh, well, how long have you been doing this, this work? How long have I been a psychologist? Well, that's a good question. What, what time is it? It's uh, 20, <laughs> it's 2020. I, 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 what I've been licensed since 2016, I think, like, so, so under my own license since 2016, but I've been doing this for, for a lot longer throughout my training. I started doing DBT, oh, it would have been in 2012, I want to say, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, cause I'm wondering over the course of that time, if mm-hmm. you have uh, noticed a change in 
a change in the way that people show up. If you've noticed people being more willing to show up vulnerable, if you've seen vulnerability and openness sort of increase over time or not. Interesting. Do you mean just because of changing times? Do you mean? Yeah. Oh, that's such an interesting question. Oh, that's a really interesting question. One thing that I've noticed, and you know, since 20, even if we go back to 2012, like it's not that long, I've noticed like a fascinatingly fast uh, shift in, in, oh God, it makes me feel so old to put it this way, but in young people. Yes. <laughs> and, their, and their immediate openness and embracing of mental health topics. Uh, you know, like I, I feel like we're really doing something right as a society in terms of that, because even though, of course, the taboo is still there and everything, it, it's, it's so evidently less in uh in these quote-unquote young people now than it was like maybe even like five years ago it's it's really remarkable yeah i have heard that 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 the millennials which of which i'm at the the top edge of millennials Uh Uh that we're like the 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 generation of therapy the therapy generation Mm. that we are jumping at it and i think that that makes space for the people even after us gen z to be yeah yeah really stigma free yeah the gen zers are the ones even i have in mind in terms of just you know, like millennials, I completely agree. Like we are, we are like so open to therapy and all of that. The Gen Zers, like they, they come, they sometimes like almost like, I almost got a little bit of whiplash in terms of like how quickly they come out with this stuff, like from the first session. It was... <laughs> and, like, and then you're like, oh no, how am I going to help you? You're going to help me. <laughs> well, that, I feel that way about all my clients, but. <laughs> Wait, really? Tell me more about that. I want to hear about that. Oh, sure. I mean, I think, so at first, this was something that used to throw me off a little bit. But now I've learned, like that it's part of the process. So it doesn't phase me anymore. But when somebody first kind of lays out everything that's going on in their life, I often get this feeling of like, Oh, my God, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm going to tell like, what I'm going to tell you, like, that sounds hard. And, and if, like, I used to think of that as like a problem in the sense that, well, you know, I'm the therapist, I should know, I should have the answer. But I've kind of come to see it as like a, a good thing. It's that, you know, of course it's hard. If it weren't hard, they would have done it already, right. you know, like whatever it is. So if it seems hard, that means I'm probably on the way to getting it, you know, and uh, and then we can break it down together and we can figure out the pieces. So that's that's that sense of like, how am I going to help you? And then in terms of like seeing how, how my clients are going to help me, I mean, I, like, I, I don't know if there's ever been a client that I've had who I haven't really taken something like specific from, something like really wise that they said, you know, or something that they said. And it was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And uh, I often ask them permission to start teaching it to people that way, uh... you know, and uh, people are just so wise, really, like they really are underneath all of our stupidity all of us no offense to us but like (laughs) underneath all of that you know in dbt we have a concept of um a concept of wise mind uh we talk about different states of mind we have uh, emotion mind which is when uh we just act on our emotions because that's what our emotions told us to do like without any other reason it's like why did i stay in bed all day because i felt like it why did i yell because i was angry period reasonable mind on the other end of the spectrum which is when we're acting uh without any regard for our emotions just based on reasons you know why am i getting out of bed 
because if I don't get out of bed, I know that I will feel this way. It's just very like reason based and dry. But then there's a place where they kind of intersect and where I, I say like it kind of transcends that too, which is what we call wise mind where it's we're we're taking everything into account we're taking into account how we feel and we're taking into account what will actually just like logically happen if i do this versus if i do that and we're also taking into account in some sense and and perhaps i'm oversimplifying it right now for the sake of time but it's almost like a sense of intuition of sometimes sometimes if we're just if we stop thinking about it and we stop kind of you know reasoning our way in circles sometimes we just kind of know what we need to do you know it's like sometimes like yeah on the one hand i don't i want to get out of bed because of this on the other hand i was like okay gus stop 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 what do you need to do i'm like yeah i know i need to get out of bed you know but it's a gentle it's not like a yelling reasonable thing it's just like a gentle like knowing you know yeah well i love this and this is also why i'm so glad to talk to you i think as opposed to you know any other like mental health professional, because I know that you have these um, more uh, spiritually seeking underpinnings that you Mm. wouldn't dismiss out of hand the idea of like the still small voice Mm. that resides inside of us. Sure. Just to, just to be clear about one thing, what I was just explaining about wise mind, that's actually built right into DBT. That's, that's not a, that's not a me thing. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough in DBT, it's not, it's not even explained in spiritual terms because a lot of people who come to DBT, they, they really don't have any interest in spirituality, and yet they have wise mind, and that's not something that they can argue, you know, and there is room in DBT for folks who do think from, from a spiritual perspective to look at it that way, uh, which I think is really cool, that there's like all these, le- like I, I had a client once say that, you know, each time they look at the same principle or the same skill in DBT, like they understand it on a deeper level. And they said, and all of those levels are helpful, which I was like, I was just so thrilled to hear that. I love it. I mean, it's a, it sounds, it sounds amazing. I kind of can't wait to start doing it myself. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad. I'm so glad. I, I'm biased. I highly yes. recommend it. I love it. Well, it's one of those things that's come up a, a number of times in my life that I've talked about, but I've never really explored. And, and it, it just feels like, um, it brings together it's that it that it's a more holistic sort of way Mm. of thinking about the human experience and to say to respond to something you said much earlier this idea of not wanting to be in therapy with somebody for like 10 years because you hope that there is some progress before that reminds me of this new york times article i read years ago that was by a psychologist and she said you know I don't want you to be seeing me for 10 years. That means it's not working. Find yes. something else, like take yes. something else. But that, but that progress, that, that measured progress is what is being aimed for. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in, in principle, just to, to be clear about this too, I have no objection to seeing somebody for 10 years in principle. If, if we have goals that we're achieving all along the way, of you know, like if, if you're very ambitious you know, then you might have lots and lots of goals and by all means, you know, but if it's 10 years and we're working on the same thing, then definitely what I'm doing isn't working at that point. Like life is short, you know, you deserve to be happy sooner than that. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Now to, to switch gears a little bit, like I would love to talk about the, within your life as a, as an, as a worker, like between you and your peers, mm. like where do you see empathy come into that? Is there a level yeah. of collaboration? Yes, big time, big time, big time, big time. 
oh, okay. So part of it, like, it's like privilege alert. Like I, I feel extremely privileged and that I feel like I found a group, the group that I, the group where, that I practice with that is just like beyond the pale in terms of just how awesome they are at that stuff. So like I'm speaking from that very privileged place. Now, let me say, let me say this, uh, DBT, you know, DBT itself, it's a, it's a very comprehensive kind of treatment. It's a pretty, it's considered a pretty intensive kind of treatment. And, and the, the way I think of that, it's, it's because, you know, other types of CBT might be geared towards specific ends. So like, for example, if you have a phobia, like if you're afraid of flying, then that's something that you can just get CBT just for that in just like a handful of sessions. Like usually the magic number that people throw out, throw around is 12 sessions, but mm-hmm. meh but you know, a number of sessions. Uh, Or, you know, if you have insomnia, then you can come in for CBTI, CBT for insomnia, and then you're just treating that. And and DBT is really about changing your life, you know? And so it it is more intensive because it's it's a more intense goal. So there's four components of DBT, and I'm saying this to get at what you're asking. You know, one is the individual, you know, the primary uh, therapy sessions. Another is you have to be also be receiving skills training uh, with the treatment team, uh, which is separate from that. The third is that you have to have access to your therapist for coaching between sessions so that you can actually apply what you're talking about in real life so that it doesn't just stay theoretical. Mm-hmm. But then the fourth is one that interestingly, I always tell, tell my clients, like it kind of happens, quote unquote, like behind the scenes a little bit in the sense that the client isn't immediately directly involved in it, but it's that the the therapist needs to be working as part of a treatment team. We think of ourselves as a community of therapists treating a community of clients. And there's a few reasons for that. One is that we want to be sure to give the client the best possible treatment. So we want to consult with each other and put like all of our brains together, especially if ever uh, the therapist is feeling kind of stuck, like how do I, you know, how do we get our, you know, over this particular issue or something like that. So we come together. But another is that in helping folks change their lives and in helping folks work with uh, sometimes very extreme emotions and, and even very extreme situations that can take an emotional toll. You know, again, it's a relationship between equals. So it's not, it's not like I can just do that and be like, Oh, all right. That was a nice session. Next, you know, like it, right. I care, I guess is what I'm saying. And so, <laughs> um, and so part of the, point of the of the therapist working as a team is that we can kind of provide therapy to each other in an informal sense it's therapy for the therapist mm. for that we can really help each other process you know the emotions that we're carrying from these mm. things any feelings that we might have even like feelings of inadequacy or things like that that might come up and so i find it to be i wouldn't just say helpful i find it to be essential i don't know that i could do this work I don't know that anybody could truly do this work well personally, but I can't speak for everybody, but I couldn't do this work at all if not for that community yeah. and, and the, the empathy. And, and in DBT, one, of, one key concept that we talk a lot about is validation, which I would say requires empathy and then goes like a little bit, it takes the next step. Like I think of validation as uh, showing somebody that you understand what they're experiencing, how real it is, how intense it is, how much it matters and how much it makes sense that they'd be feeling that way or experiencing it that way. Even if you disagree, you know, how, like, and, and even, if you, even if you see things differently, it still is true that they're seeing it that way 
it still is true that it matters a lot, that it's intense, that it's real, and that it makes sense that they would be seeing it that way. You know, and, and then it's about like figuring out why they're seeing it this way. Why am I seeing it a different way? Not assume that I'm right and they're wrong. But I find that validation uh, to be crucial uh, to be able to do the work that we do in DBT. And, uh, and I always tell people, I always say this to people that if, if ever, like now this couldn't happen in practice for practical reasons, but as a thought experiment, if somebody were ever to come into my office and say, hey, listen, you're a psychologist, right? All right, listen, I have 45 minutes. I don't have time to tell you anything about me or about what's going on in my life. Just help me. <laughs> if, if I had to go in a blank, what I would do is I would spend 45 minutes teaching them about validation. Because I think that's the most universally applicable, the biggest bang for your buck, the most life-changing thing that you could learn in a short period of time. And it's something that I think all human beings desperately need. And it's something that for some reason, I personally find that almost all human beings, including myself, are intuitively terrible at. Like if we just trust our intuitions before we've thought about it, we go about it in just the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. This is huge. And I completely agree with it. And I think is also something that's pretty recent, uh, the, the idea of validation. And I, and I feel like, you know, previous generations of people have really subsisted on this idea of tradition over validation. Like, mm-hmm. this is the way it's always been done. If you're having a problem with it, then mm-hmm. you need to buck up. The issue is with yep. you, as yep. opposed to assessing each person individually. Yep. And yes, even if you don't agree with, or if you don't have the exact experience that they're having just to hold space for them and hear them and say, whatever you're feeling doesn't mean you're broken. Right. Yeah. Yes. I've yet to meet a broken person. I meet lots of people who think they're broken. It breaks my heart. (laughs) Well, that's something else that I want to ask you about your heart and whether like what sorts of protective mechanisms and boundaries uh, you need to put up because Uh you're interacting so intimately with people Uh and then of course getting therapy from your fellow therapists as you do this Uh um you know how do you go about protecting yourself and have there been moments when you've maybe gotten too too deep or too attached Mm. in the process sure well i this is one point where i i don't know i can't quite speak for you know i think most of everything i've probably said so far is something that most any dbt therapist would probably agree with, I think. This next bit is, is just my personal feeling about it, I suppose. What I found that works best, or maybe even that works at all, is to do the opposite of, of what at first might seem to make sense. Like the thought sometimes comes up of like putting up protections, like almost like putting up walls, sure. you know? And I, so I, I mean, th- there's reasons that I, 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 like, I would feel funny about even like walking into a therapy feeling like I have walls up in some yeah. sense. But not only that, but I find that walls are easy to breach. And, <laughs> and then when walls tumble down, then you're like, okay, holy crap, what do I do now? You know? <laughs> so what I, f- what I try to do is I try to do the opposite. I try to f- look for any walls that might be there and to kind of tear them down. And that way, like things can kind of flow in and things can kind of flow out. Mm-hmm. You know, that in itself is a DBT concept, but just the way I'm thinking of how I apply it to this situation is, is just my own thinking. But 
so I don't try to not feel sad when somebody's telling me something very sad. And I don't try to push away the sadness afterwards. I just let it do what it does. And have there been times when I've been too invested? I don't believe, this is again, my own thinking. I don't believe there could be such a thing. I don't believe there could be such a thing as caring too much about a client or caring too much about anybody. I believe it's just a question of doing it wisely or unwisely. Yeah. You know? Uh, you're, you're really, I have to say, you're giving such a good name. To therapists right now. Oh, I'm so I'm glad. Oh. <laughs> because one of I think one of my deepest fears, and like I've spoken to a lot of friends and colleagues who have said the same about you know when seeking a new therapist is like how to find somebody who really hears you and who really cares about you and who really like matches up with you. And and I I, I can't help but be skeptical sometimes where it's mm. just like well I'm just another slot in their schedule okay. you know and they hear all kinds of things all day long. But to hear you talk about it. It, it's actually, you're talking about it in a similar way to the way that I learned about acting, uh, which, mm -hmm. you know, I went to school for acting and the idea specifically in Meisner training is to become a vessel that is open and vulnerable so that emotions can flow in and flow out organically at their own pace. And what my, my acting teacher always used to say is that emotions are like waves. You can't control them. They, they, they stay as long as they do. And then they recede whenever they're ready to recede. And, and the idea is to feel them, of course, as an actor, you want to, because you want to show that on stage. But I feel like there's maybe some misrepresentation about some mental health professionals needing to be, you know, uh, impermeable. Mm -hmm. Almost. Yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, I, I believe that a lot of psychologists probably do approach it from the perspective of trying to put up walls to protect to protect their emotions and to and to due to also the, the belief that if they fall apart, then they're not going to be able to help their right. clients and so on. So I'm not saying that that's probably not a technique that people use. And, uh, and certainly different schools of, of thinking in terms of different different types of therapy like we said at the beginning have very different theories about should you show your emotions should you right. share how you're feeling but i'll say this i don't think i've ever yet met a therapist for whom a client would just be another slot i don't think i've ever met that i i can't imagine that somebody who could feel that way would have gone into this field it's not if you wanted to make money, there would be lots easier ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's so nice. It's so nice to hear. It's so nice to hear, especially as like the term empath has been getting thrown around so much lately. I yeah. think it's really become part of the lexicon and you know what that means. Does that mean that you sponge up more of other people's energy and can that damage your own energy? And how do you like, do you feel like you need to, in order to pursue your particular path, have to have like a very strong balance center? Oh, wow. I, let me start by saying, I do not come from the premise that I have a very strong balance center above and beyond other people. So from that perspective, no, it's not, it's not like you have to have it you know, like, are, are you a person who does or are you a person who doesn't? Like, no, I mean, no. I think, I think a big part of it actually is that, so in DBT, um, you know, I mentioned that one of the four components is uh, skills training, like specific 
specific skills that, that we teach our clients. And uh, I'll say this, I don't think there is a DBT therapist who doesn't use the skills themselves. I mean, it, it, like the skills, like the skills work. So like, it would be like weird to like, so in the same way that I, I think maybe what I would say is the way that I manage my emotions that come up from my work as a therapist is the same way that I manage my emotions. I don't differentiate between them, I guess, you know, it's like, what am I feeling right now? You know, and sure, this might be because of the session or this might be because of something that has nothing to do with my career, but what am I feeling right now? And like, and then I, I use the skills that I teach, you know, to manage those emotions. And I guess, gosh, I mean, to say it this way, it sounds like I'm just really making a plug for DBT, but I, 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 I guess I, I like it because I believe it, but, but it, it really, I think using the skills really is, is what helps you or helps me, sorry, I should say, be centered. And um, it's more something that I do than something that I am, perhaps. Mm. But one thing I'll say, though, is lest you think that I'm just this amazingly centered person, <laughs> is that I, what I, one thing I can't do is after a, a full day of work, sit down and watch something very emotional on TV. Sure. I feel like I'm all emotioned out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's not, it's not like, okay, I'm just so amazing at like just returning to baseline. It's as if nothing had happened. No, it's, it's. <laughs> well, I mean, that also, that also is reassuring because it means you're not a robot, you know, you're a person. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I wonder, I mean, you keep talking about the skills and obviously short of like having a session myself right now, which I'm not, is there, are there skills, are there, or per particular practices that you could share to just like a general listener who is feeling mm. a little overwhelmed or mm. just uh what are what are Gus's like top tips for Ooh, daily la, la, life la, la. okay <laughs> now I'm gonna say something not just as a disclaimer for legal purposes but because of it because it's true which is that truly 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 it's like I said at the beginning, like or earlier on, like assess, 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 you know, so I, I'm happy to share like some, some general mm -hmm. ideas and, so, you know, and, and some, you know, just some, some ideas of some skills, but I think the most helpful thing is to figure out, is this the skill that I need in this particular situation? Sure. You know, and so, sometimes it's not, and sometimes uh, anyway, but so having said that, like I said, I think if I were if I were gonna tell a random person just one thing, it would be validation and validate yourself, please, as well as others. Like I think in our society, we are terrible at that. Terrible. We don't act as if what we're feeling is real, let alone as if it matters, let alone as if it makes sense. And I can tell you categorically, whatever you're feeling right now, it's real it matters and it makes sense that you're feeling that way. It might be based on a misunderstanding. It might be based on a misunderstanding, but there's a reason that you misunderstood if so. You know, you're not crazy. And about validation, I mean, it could go on and on for hours about validation. But one thing that I find extremely helpful for when you're really like in a moment of emotional crisis, let's say, like when you're really too upset to think, right now i'll i'll say this 
don't do this if you have heart conditions. If you do, talk to your doctor first. And don't do this if you have an allergy to cold, which is something extremely rare, but some people do. But if you don't have those things, then there's a skill um, called the ice dive, which sounds so strange at first, at least it did to me, but I, I didn't fully believe it until I tried it for myself when I really needed it. Uh, basically, you fill a bowl with cold water, you put just a couple of ice cubes in it, you take off your glasses if you're me, <laughs> you. and, uh, and then you just dip your face in the water, you make sure that it covers up to your temples, and then when you need to come up for breath, come up for breath, do it a second time, when you need to come up for breath the second time, you're done. But what this does is it activates something called the mammalian dive reflex, uh-huh. which is something that all mammals have for when we fall into water. It's our brain's way of, since we don't know how long we might be submerged, it's our brain's way of conserving oxygen. Uh-huh. It turns off everything in the body that isn't necessary for immediate survival. It slows down the heart rate a bunch. Uh-huh. It stops digestion, but crucially, it stops thinking and it stops emotions. So it basically just gives you a moment of space, right? Um, there's no side effects if you don't have, you know, any medical conditions. And it's something that you can't actually, one thing that I always wondered about it at first was, is it something you could build a tolerance to so that you kind of become less and less, but it's not. And research actually shows that the more times you've done it, the bigger the response is. So this is not a skill that will solve any problems, right? right? But it's something that if we're kind of in that space of like, I, I can't think, I can't think about what to do. I can't think this will give us a few minutes of, of like an openness of a clarity, you know, and then with, with that openness and clarity, then we can think about what to do now. Right. You know, that's amazing. Uh, I find it extremely helpful. Wow. And, and then, so- oh, sorry. sorry, please go ahead. No, I, I mean, first of all, I, now I'm thinking I'm going to do it right now after this call. Oh, please um, <laughs> let me know how it goes. I, cause I had just read something, you know, I have this, this app insight timer, which is, has, you know, thousands and thousands of free guided meditations and, and that kind of thing. And I saw a tip that was like, uh, cold water is good for depression. Warm water is good for anxiety, which mm. I, I, which I understand in terms of like submerging yourself mm, you know, mm, in a mm. bath or a shower, but I love this idea of just like, stop everything. Mm-hmm. Let's have a hard reset. Yes. It's like a reboot. Exactly. Oh, exactly. It's like, t- t- you know, like the computer, like turn it off and turn it back on again. <laughs> exactly. exactly. The, th- the thing is, it, it, of course, if you do this and then you go right back to the thing that was bothering you in the first place, you know, you, it will come back, you know, sure. I, of sure. course. But again, it's, it's, a, I see it as like, it's like a, a window of opportunity to just, and, and you can do it as many times as you need to, you know, again, there's no downside to it. One other thing that I would say, you know, if I'm just speaking like, again, like broadly, and, and this is, it, it can be hard to do, but I think it's arguably the most important thing that I could say in terms of emotion, like in terms of like managing emotions themselves. This is in DBT, we have this concept that emotions love themselves. And what we mean by that is that every emotion comes with uh, an action urge, like every emotion wants you to do something. So for example, like depression, it, it can be different for different people at different times, but generally speaking, depression wants you to isolate and, and stay put. Anger wants you to lash out. Fear wants you to uh, retreat. Joy often wants you to share. And the thing is, 
if you do the thing that the emotion is urging you to do, what you will get is more of the same emotion without fail you know so i'm depressed i have the urge to stay in bed if i stay in bed what i'll get is more depressed right uh i'm anxious have the urge to avoid i avoid what i'll get is more anxiety the next time the the thing comes up right i'm joyful i want to share i share what i get is more joy right Right. assuming that i share with somebody receptive the most important thing of all is if you're feeling an emotion that you don't want to be feeling don't do what it wants you to do ah easy right just go just go do that and then <laughs> well no but i mean that's that's super impactful and i think i think important and you know you there, there's so many there's so many social media things and memes out there about like the idea of self-care right like if you just want to stay in bed then just stay in bed which like has its has its yes purpose. yes like, yes you need to rest rest yes yes but i think that can also be dangerous because i think it can lead to you know getting you into a snowball like re- repetitive Um, Yes, yes. You know, the idea is that every emotion has a function. And, and sometimes the function of the emotion is on point for what we need right then. You know, if something tragic just happened, and we're feeling sad, there's a reason that our body is kind of programmed to like want to retreat and reflect and, and before we move, move on and move forward. And so in a case like that, definitely, you know, that emotion is doing something for you. So you, you kind of follow it. So we would, we, the, the time not to follow it is when we kind of look at it from a wise mind perspective and we see that this emotion is trying to get me to do something, but it, it's in this moment, it's almost like a, a little bit of like a false alarm. Like it's not, you know, the, the depression isn't really helping me. It's not really moving me forward. It's just slowing me down. It's just weighing me down and making me miserable. So then I don't want more of this emotion. So then I'm not going to follow it. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's profound. Thank you. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, Gus, you've been such an incredible guest. I can I'm talk so to you glad. for hours and I'm sure we will at some other point. Um, I look forward to it. I, I, I like to end every session by asking my guest um, one of the questions that's in the question database in the Zany app, you know, one of the questions that gets asked weekly. So for you, I don't know why this just came up, but given that we're talking about psychology, can you talk about a recurring dream or nightmare you had as a kid? Oh my God. Oh, as a kid, specifically as a kid? I mean, if you have a more recent one that comes to oh, mind. Oh, right I have right a more recent one that comes to mind right away. Okay. Yeah. So, and okay, this isn't going to be that exciting because it's a common one, but there's a twist. The dream is that it's uh, the day of a final exam, right? And I only just found out that I'm taking the class. And so I'm sitting there, there's the test. Often I'm in my underwear. It's that, you know, that one. And okay, now here's, here's what's interesting about this to me. I stopped having that dream only when I started teaching, when I, when I started teaching a college class, but the reason I stopped having that dream is because it transformed I stopped having the dream that I was the student having to take the, and I started having the dream that I was the professor and it was the day of finals and I'd forgotten to write the test. (laughs) And that became a recurring nightmare, still in my underwear. So it's really interesting how perverse our brains can be. Yeah, you leveled up, you leveled up. you got away but you didn't it's just the next level of the same thing it's crazy it's crazy i haven't had that one in a while i'm happy to say but 
I found it fascinating. It's like, seriously, brain, seriously. <laughs> well, I think you're not alone in having dreams like that. Those sort of like naked uh, last minutes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sh- I know. Sadly, yes. <laughs> well, Dr. Gus, can you, uh, where would you tell people to go if they want to learn more about you, your practice or about CBT or DBT? Oh, sure. Well, folks are welcome to check out the, the website of the practice where I work. Uh, so we're called Cognitive Behavioral Associates. We're out in Great Neck, uh, Long Island. And our website is cbtreatment.com. So uh, it's it's kind of like CBT treatment, but without two Ts. Got you. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Gus, thank you so much for joining us on What's Up my, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to episode 21 of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. To learn more about Gus's work and the kinds of therapy he practices and believes in, you can check out his practice, Cognitive Behavioral Associates, at cbtreatment.org. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at zanie.app. Human first, everything else after. Human first, everything else after.